Hello, and welcome to the Three Vice Men podcast. I'm James. I'm Dom. And I'm Matt. And together we're going on a verbal pilgrimage, taking in all things craft beer. From delicious dippers to dandelion saisons, we'll be looking at what breweries are doing well, and maybe not so well. We'll also be looking at what trends look set to take off this year, and what we're excited about, as well as delving into some of our beery stories. Most importantly though, we'll be sampling beers each episode, and giving our opinions on them, unfiltered by untapped hopefully. So join us as we journey into the world of craft beer, and whilst we may not have a new king to look for, we'll certainly be worshipping a lot of tasty beers along the way. So sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to the Three Vicemen podcast, back with, I think we're going to call this the first episode of Series 3. We've got another couple of fantastic guests this week, so let's just jump into it. Um, on a day that I've had my first vaccination, I am joined by two pricks. So hi, Matt and Dom, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Have you been thinking about that one all day? I've been thinking about that for about three minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all good, all good, thank you. Yourself, Curtis? Uh, yeah, slightly sore arm, but uh, I think I can wash that, wash that pain away fairly quickly. This week, we are joined by the fantastic Avalanche Brewery. Uh, I think they're definitely going to be guys and definitely ones to watch in the near future. Uh, Greg, Rob, thanks for joining us this week. How are you, how are you guys doing? Hello. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad we weren't the first ones introduced there. <laughs> yeah, I, know, yeah, I was, yeah, I was yeah, like, where's he going with this? I was worried about that. <laughs> I was nervous for a what have we signed up for? <laughs> it's actually, it's a trap. It's just me calling people bricks. Um, <laughs> Before we dive too much into the brewery and about yourselves, we're going to get a beer poured. Um, we're starting with Polaris Pale Ale. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. My astronomy is not great. So uh, while we pour this, can you give us a bit a brief overview of the beer itself? So Polaris is uh, a pale ale, 4.8%. It's got a heavy dry hop of Citra Mosaic and a little bit of Amarillo. Um, so the aim when we were producing this beer, it basically it was going to be uh, our first core um, beer to kick things off coming out of the pandemic. Just as I joined the brewery in kind of early January, this was the first beer that we uh, developed collaboratively. And the aim was just to make a great pale ale. So something that really suited the style um, and that you could just smash in beer gardens and just drink a lot of them. So that was kind of the aim, but also um, obviously we spent well we spent a lot of time trying to develop the water profile and get that right it's been through quite a few iterations already um we released it in i think it was march um and we brewed it quite a few times since always kind of making those continually small adjustments just trying to perfect the style really are are those sort of adjustments getting a bit smaller now or is it kind of still always been just slowly iterating and dialing it in do you know what i think we weren't necessarily expecting it, but I think straight off the bat, we were surprised how well the first iteration went. Um, we were both a little bit nervous, obviously, brewing that at scale. Um, and we brought in some new elements and new ingredients that we hadn't necessarily messed around with before with the malt bill and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it came out exactly what we wanted it to be. So um, I think we were, we were we did pretty well with that one. Um and yeah, we just continue to make those small adjustments. Generally, it's like water profile. Um, that's kind of the main thing that we're just trying to hone in now. Yeah, as Greg says, we just kind of wanted to make something as a as a core pale ale that kind of has that hoppy bit of a hazy thing going on. We use a lot of, well, we use a fair bit of wheat and oats um, in this just to kind of give it a little bit more of a mouthfeel. But it's a beer that finishes quite dry. 
um, and the water profile kind of we hope adds a little bit of like crispness to that um, to kind of make the hops come through a little bit more but yeah just wanted something that was a yeah a good sessionable 4.8% pale ale really um, and, and I think iterations wise yeah we just I think we don't change things too drastically but the more and more we do it, the more we kind of hone this style in. Yeah, you 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 figure things out a bit more, and you, yeah, okay, maybe we could tweak this in the profile. Maybe we could add hops a little bit later, change the whirlpool kind of regime that we do. Um, so yeah, little tweaks and things going forward. I think my first thoughts off the bat is just I need to watch myself because this is, it can sip down pretty easily. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredibly drinkable. Like one of I think the, actually one of the yeah easiest things I've ever drank. Like um, <laughs> I think you've done a great job because like with some hazy beers they can get a bit claggy. Yeah. But I think like you've got them like you've got the mouthfeel just right. And yeah, with like that crisp finish, as soon as I finish that sip, I'm like, I want another one. And like nice. I like you say, I think that's if it, that's perfect for the style of beer you're going for, I think. So yeah, I'm very excited about drinking the rest of this. Cheers. No, that's really great to that's a great to hear. I echo exactly what you say. I think there's there's a lot of pale ales out there now that have that huge body that there's so much oats, wheat, everything in there. They're thick, um, heavy water profiles. And they can they can be a bit much. So, you know, they're delicious. Love drinking them, but I struggle with like say you know two three four of them it starts to get a little bit difficult so uh i'm i'm, I'm glad you got you've said that that's um that's great to hear so so with a pale ale as the kind of intentional first 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 beer in the core range what was the thought process behind there and going for a pale ale rather than maybe an ipa or or something like a lager for me um it's in terms of the things that I like to drink, I guess. And I think Greg's very similar in, in, in that sense. And I'm sure he'll jump in in a bit. But the um, something for me, uh, like that I would look up to as a pale ale, things like um, Pale Fire from Pressure Drop, a um, little bit higher ABV, but Steady Rolling Man from Daya. Those are the things that I love to drink. And I think in a in a beer world at the moment that that's kind of clamoring for new and big and different all the time, it was really nice just to start off with something that in at its core is and should be really simple and, and straightforward. And um, a bit, I'd like to think I'm a big proponent of doing, trying to do simple things, but do them well. And, and I think that's where we wanted to start with Polaris. Yeah, I, I think you make a really valid point there of not going too big early, because that does seem there is a trend in the market of everything is going higher and, and bigger. And sometimes it's not, with yeah I, I fill a fridge with stuff from my local bottle shop and then it's kind of thinking oh, do i want to drink this tonight do i want to whereas something like this yeah it's a no-brainer grab out of the fridge yeah i think that's like one of the biggest things because obviously during lockdown and during covid like tippers became quite a big thing and because you didn't see them that much the first the first few times i was just excited i was like i need this i need this i need this and i got yeah. a bit tippered out and now a lot on a Tuesday night, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tuesday, Tuesdays. Tuesdays. <laughs> so Tuesdays. Like, now I'm having a beer like this in the fridge is perfect because I can get home after work, be like, right, I fancy a beer, and then I'm not kind of terrified at what I find in the fridge, you know. Although slightly, awkward. you're not planning a tipper, are you soon? Uh, no. <laughs> there's so many. That one. There's so many good examples that out there at the moment. Mm. Like Cloudwater have just been nailing it uh, recently. Um, uh, yeah. So there's just some really, really great styles out there for, for in in that range at the moment. But yeah, you can get tippered out. 
imperial stouted out and it's just nice to have something that you can go to and think yeah I, I like that it's consistent it's the same it's low abv and just yeah and just have have a few of them yeah i think um pale ale was probably the first style of beer that me and rob connected on as well like it's the one thing in a way that we had in common like as soon as we started brewing together they were the first beers that we drank and were just like we both like this style we both kind of appreciate the same elements about it and together we we drink enough of it that we we were like we could we could make a good one of these so was that was that the origin of the brewery then of kind of a case of we're drinking a lot of this i like it i feel like we could do we could do this the story of avalanche is kind of a bit of a there's a two there's kind of almost like two parts to it so the brewery originally started off as a as a homebrew project i guess there's a lot of small indies now have done mm. um start off as a homebrew project um with me and a school friend of mine called matt and we we got together one christmas and we're just like oh you know fancy we'd, we'd been brewing home brewing kits and things for a little while and just said oh do you want to do some all grain stuff yeah brilliant we got some equipment and threw it all together and and started brewing brewing all grain um and got some decent feedback on some of the beers that we were doing of course made some stinkers as well as you do at home brew level yeah. but got some jet generally decent feedback and i think as maybe a lot of uh home brewers do you start to get a decent bit of feedback oh yeah i can go i can go pro with this you know yeah i've, I've got the talent we can do it and maybe in a like kind of naive fashion we thought yeah, okay let's try and scale up and do some interesting things and that's when we um first got to know andy from three hills who you've had on mm-hmm. previously mm. um and andy was really uh integral in getting us started in terms of scaling up from 30 litre buckets of you know plastic buckets and things scaling up to proper stainless steel and a, a proper working brewery which he helped us put it put all put together which is in in my garage um <laughs> nice. uh, yeah uh yeah the other half loves that one um <laughs> at least so, it's a lovely smell i mean yeah absolutely yeah yeah it is a perk yeah the neighbors neighbors do you like it as well which is fortunate so uh, <laughs> but um andy helped us up it was uh, you know in, in, incredible on that front and um at that time again it was myself and matt we worked collaboratively with them and uh we did uh, a couple of beers we did a, a cascadian dark ale and uh another pale ale but we got loads of experience just working with them, spent lots of time, like not lots of weekends at their brewery, kind of helping them package and uh, clean and brew and just understanding what their processes were like. Um, and then um, Matt and his wife had their first uh, first child, Oscar, who um, obviously you can imagine Matt's time after that's fairly limited. Mm. um uh so he kind of took a step back and i was still looking to move things move things forward and then uh, i'd kind of been brewing a lot of cask led cask led stuff um throughout 2018 into 2019 but on your own it's pretty difficult it's a it's a challenging thing to do even though we're doing it at like 200 liter scale which is still in the grand scheme of things quite small it's it, it's a lot for one one individual yeah um so i was brewing a lot of cask stuff um and then of course the pandemic hit <laughs> and it was uh everything kind of stopped and it was at that time really in 2020 that i first got to know greg um and kind of we were introduced to one another and um greg was i think you you were home brewing as well and looking to kind of 
see what it would take to go into a scaled up setup and um yeah and we, we we really hit it off like straight off like as greg was saying we we're talking about the styles that we enjoyed um drinking and what we enjoyed brewing and yeah just kind of it was it was a it was a great natural fit um and yeah greg thankfully came on board and i think this is kind of the second part of avalanche's history i say this is this is the kind of the proper birth of it in many ways we've you know we've been able to invest in better equipment new equipment um we've with both of us on board with different ideas and, and everything else it's it's just been a really really exciting time uh, and uh, yeah with you greg on board we've we've pushed things forward dramatically we've been able to get canning um we've got a new unit tank in that allows us to do these poppy pressure fermented beers um and yeah that's hope sorry for waffling on a bit but we had kind of had the homebrew stage of avalanche and it being kind of like you know that that was the old school avalanche and this kind of new avalanche now that has been birthed <laughs> birthed post pandemic no it's, no, it's, it's fascinating it's, stuff yeah, yeah it's cool in time so greg were you like slipping slipping rob a few samples of your homebrew and of like your audition or yeah to be fair it was um it was it was much more chilled out than that so uh we actually got introduced through my cousin who um who owns a a couple of micro craft beer pubs in rushton um which is nearby um and i'd been homebrewing for probably about two years um before i met rob um, and I'd had a conversation. Well, I, my cousin had tried some of my homebrews and he was like, these are like, these are really nice. I was getting really good feedback um, and just trying lots of kind of wacky stuff. He was like, you should start a brewery. You, like you should take this to the next level. I will buy your beer. I, like, and uh, and I, I got on it and I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So um, initially the idea came up that I would go away and start my own brewery. And, uh, and then he introduced me to Rob um and like rob said i went to uh the brewery with him to try and understand just the process how it all works at like a kind of bigger production scale out of the plastic buckets um and yeah we just kind of got chatting um and we i think we just it was the right situation at the right time for both of us really and um yeah. i got involved so uh that first brew was like december last year um and then i got involved officially in about january um and then yeah since then we've just been kind of started this new push as we've come out of the pandemic uh brought out um some new beers first first off canning runs so we've got a canning machine and um all the equipment required to kind of put out canned beer which i think for us um in our minds is really important obviously especially with kind of all the uncertainty that everyone was going through like we mm. want to make this beer but we've got to be able to get it to people so that was kind of the first big investment as well as that pressure tank uh the pressure fermentate uh, fermenter that was kind of what got us kickstarted. And then, um, yeah, since then we've just been brewing every week when we can. Um, so at the moment, this is still a part-time operation, but we have one day a week, which we usually make Sunday, um, going into the brewery, <laughs> packaging last the last brew and fermenting uh, and brewing a new one. So, um, oh, wow. a long kind of day. one very busy day a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it's it's we can. Before you got the canning line, was everything just going into cask and keg? Yeah, so um, like Rob said, before I got involved, majority of stuff was cask. Um, I think he was putting out a few kegs here and there. Um, but obviously, once we got that uh, that pressure fermenter, um, it was much easier to put out um, put out keg stuff. And they were kind of the beers that we wanted to move into. I mean, we still appreciate the cask and put out um, cask when we can. But yeah, we just wanted to 
get involved in that market because that's kind of the beer styles that we drink the most of. So yeah, before that, it was mostly mostly cask or keg. I think uh, you might be able to answer this better than me, Rob, but I think you did a few bottles back in the day, didn't you? Yeah, a few bottles. Did like a um, an IPL in a bottle, which was interesting, right. very early days. But yeah, a lot of it became cask stuff. I mean, where we are in Northamptonshire, there, there, is, a, there is like a burgeoning and growing craft beer scene. We're quite fortunate. There are a lot of craft beer places around and some interesting breweries. But on the whole, it's quite like trad-led you know on on the size of the equipment that that we were using at that point i could i could brew and pretty much pre-sell everything that i was producing i've got found good homes for it all and yeah it was just um it just made it a bit easier to at least keep brewing keep getting something out into the world um and and cask was just yeah it's it's easier to deal with in 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 theory and in in practice than it is um than, than, than kegging stuff so yeah um but we still do we, we still love the car stuff i think we're gonna like greg says crack on with it at, at uh, maybe in the next few weeks do another cask run um because there's demand for it and people do like some of the yeah. car stuff that we pop out as well so it's yeah it's all good so yeah. are you doing the same beers that you're you canning in cask or you bring sort of special cask editions of or independent cask beers that you wouldn't have elsewhere the cask is generally um it's it different recipes different builds to polaris so mm. um yeah kind of uh, we, we try not to dabble in a lot of the crystal malts and things like that you would find in a lot of traditionals to give them color and things i, I often i don't I don't quite like some sometimes some of the artificialness that you get with that but yeah. um kind of similar base to polaris but you know probably using less of those um american kind of really forward hops and 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 just kind of more traditional stuff really from from there um, yeah, a little bit of that bitterness in there as well so there's more kind of bittering hops that go into our cask because um just kind of works better with that style yeah um, yeah the thing we really like about polaris is um it's just it hasn't really got much it hasn't got very much bitter in hop in it at all so it's like very refreshing very drinkable um and you just get a lot more of that like um aromatic floral flavors from the dry hop yeah i mean that's something i definitely noticed sort of sipping along is that it's you get a lot more at the front end and and then it just slips down it slips down through your mouth and without too much and as you said earlier leave sort of finishing pretty dry and kind of getting ready for the next sip as well going going back to polaris then is this one of your guys homebrew recipes like is it is it come on from there or did you work on it together obviously well, you worked on it know. together since but i don't know if rob's got any secrets but as far as i'm aware it was a absolute collab so i think i think there's a lot of things um being kind of independent brewers that were introduced even though um obviously rob had the brewery i was homebrewing but um i think the thing about brewing is uh there's a lot of rules and things that you kind of read about and follow. And, but at the end of the day, everyone develops their own processes, their own like little things that make their beer unique and what makes it kind of theirs. And they have kind of developed their own like flavors. If that, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and I think because we'd never brewed together before, we both learned our own lessons um, and we learned kind of ingredients that we really liked, like, especially when it comes to kind of um, grain bills and stuff like that. 
um, and things that we didn't like as much. And to be fair, there was no disagreement, which was uh, okay. good news. But um, but yeah, I think I think to answer the question, um, we kind of brought the things that we liked and that we'd learned personally and put them together. Um, and that actually is kind of what made it work quite well because um, we both kind of had our own knowledge of different things and um, and that's what allowed us to kind of build the recipe. Yeah, it's one thing in particular I remember. So Greg had been using, and, and just in terms of what goes into it, there's Greg had been using flaked wheat at, uh, for a lot of his homebrew. Um, and yeah, um, he, he'd been using that consistently. I'd never really used it too much. And kind of Greg said, oh, let's try, just try to put flaked wheat in there and see how that develops. And I think that's what, particularly with Polaris, gives it that it's it's still a you know, dry finish, you know, nice kind of crispy edge to it but that mouthfeel I think is driven from the flaked wheat so it's yeah just taking little bits that we've learned with things that you know what we've brewed in the past and and just trying to apply them and I mean obviously this is a beer that will constantly I think we'll constantly try and refine and make better but I was we were very lucky I think to land where we did <laughs> straight straight away because it was the first thing that we'd done and first thing that we'd worked on together. It's like, oh actually yeah, that's, that's pretty decent yeah we were quite quite happy with that and obviously we'll continue to continue to refine and improve but um yeah we were I think we landed somewhere that we were quite <laughs> quite happy with and we I mean we obviously I mean the internet is obviously a great a great resource and we'd you know read about particular like dry hopping styles and what like whirlpool additions for hops and you know when to add hops and possibly start crash calling the beer and to, to get like less vegetal notes all, all that kind of interesting stuff so everything that we learn and try and understand and speaking to other breweries and other brewers try and apply those and see see how it works and what uh, what it turns out like as you say i think you've landed on your feet here um as in those kind of early days when you, you're still sort of figuring out the kind of beer you're brewing and, and the kind of iterations and especially when you're trying a few things and almost working out that kind of collective identity how much do you look at the kind of review sites i know you've got there's an untapped badge on on the can here is that something you look at for kind of how you're shaping the future stuff i think i think initially um when we kind of brought out uh polaris we were we were looking more at kind of verbal feedback from people um so people that we knew that had it and we were looking to kind of hear what they had to say um and we we do we do look at untapped and we and we are on it um and we get quite a lot of good reviews from it but um but yeah, I think I think sometimes you got you got to make sure um, you don't let it kind of get you down if you get bad, <laughs> you know, get to you or um, or anything like that. But I think at the end of the day, um, I, like people have their opinions and people have their preferences, and that's that's okay. So um, it, if we can put out a beer that people are going to enjoy, um, and then we're okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think like un- Untapped is. Um, it's a great thing, but it's it can also be a bit of a curse. Like there's a traditional, you know, somebody, you know, one out of five, I don't like sour beers, uh, and it's yeah. it's you're just like, oh no, come on, like, it, I, I, it's it it that I find that aspect of it really really challenging, and yeah, um, it's just taking each beer as it is and trying to, you know. Is, is it representative of the style is it you know are there any brewing flaws etc in in yeah. that in that beer mm. and and i don't think the, uh, the majority of people tend to look for that i also think that there's a, a focus on the kind of the big impy stouts and double ipas triple ipas five 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 and yeah. i just it, i i struggle with the kind of the rating system sometimes and it, they, they uh, almost need a rating for each style don't they to be honest yeah yeah, it's, yeah. It's not like, like, there, there are some lagers i have and i'm like this is absolutely 
absolutely amazing. And then you go on Untapped because there's a lager. It's like, oh, 3.6 average. Like, yeah. Yeah. What, what's that all about? This is amazing. And then like, a... sometimes with improbable stats, it can go the other way when you like people have like put like 4.67 on or, or something. And like you can just basically just like taste chocolate and you like, I don't know how yeah. much, how well you brewed this or if you just put lots of chocolate in it or something. You, it's, yeah. It can go the other way. You can hide those brewing flaws in those bigger beers as well. Like, mm. you, you know, the, the, the higher the ABV and the more adjunct, etc. you just get, you can get away with a bit more. So it, yeah, it, it, it can, it can be frustrating. But I do think on, on the whole, it's a good tool to get feedback and um and see what people are thinking but again because we don't cast our net very wide right now hopefully you know in the next six to twelve months that 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 will change it that nothing beats kind of like walking into where it's on and just mm-hmm. kind of parking yourself somewhere and watching people go up and buy a pint of it and you know earwig and listen to what they're saying and try and pick up a little bit of the vibe from there that's kind of where where i think we i think we like to do it most is just going yeah talk to the talk to people and and see what they think about it that has to be the best excuse for working in a pub i've ever heard <laughs> yeah, yeah no, i'm just sitting here so i can listen to what they're saying that's why i'm still here yeah it is, one of, it is one of the most surreal feelings like the first time that you go into a pub where beer that you've worked hard over and spent you know time developing um and people are paying the money for it that they would pay for beer basically and obviously when you're home brewing it you kind of give it to people for free and they're like oh yeah this is nice but they're not going to say it's horrendous because you gave it to them for free but when people are paying their hard-earned money for a pint and they don't know you brewed it like yeah it's 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 a pretty good feeling it's um must be just immense like pride in yourself almost very proud of your work yeah definitely especially when you do hear kind of conversations of people being like oh this is really nice i'm really enjoying this and you're just like you know that's honest feedback because then yeah. yeah. at, at, that, at that point, do you walk over and say, "You know that beer you got"? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know who I am. <laughs> yeah, we should start doing that. Actually, Maybe, I do yeah. need a little bit more uh, gratification like that. Speaking speaking of pubs and stuff, is there quite a good like local community around like Kettering and stuff? Are there a lot of good pubs and things that get your stuff in? A lot of craft beer scene growing there like you mentioned earlier yeah there definitely is i think we're, we're very fortunate that um as greg mentioned earlier um we've got a couple of, of, of great craft beer bars locally in rushton which is basically a town or so over from where we are okay. which which um the, the hot master that basically have supported avalanche from the start always looking to take our stuff interested in it um so that they've always been a great outlet but um it, it, particularly in Northampton, which is where which is where Greg is, which is a bit of a bigger town, there are definitely more of those outlets there um, to kind of tap into that are that are crafty, a little bit more niche. Um, and a lot of the a lot of, of restaurants are interested now in the in you know the canned stuff. So um, yeah, we're able to get that out there. So there definitely is that growing scene here. I mean, uh, you, you know, like I think Three Hills in particular in this area are, are leading the way. They've they've kind of forged a path for, for a lot of a lot of us are, are around but um you know there's there's uh, there's mall in northampton as well who uh, i think they they tend to remain quite local but and an, another great uh, another great brewery uh, and then kind of kind of going over to more milton Keynes way black and sun but there are there are lots of other very small 
breweries popping up in this area and people yeah people just love making a bit of beer and want to share it with one another and it's quite a quite a nice community um that we've got locally we're quite fortunate well i think we're probably coming towards the end of this beer so if, if i get a few bits of feedback matt how has this gone down it's gone down yeah very well uh, really easy drinker uh the stone fruit comes through um it's exactly what you want really from a 4.8 percent pale ale uh, i'd have no qualms drinking four or five pints of this in a, in a in a beer garden on a saturday afternoon uh while it comes home maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah no really wow. banging job on this one thanks very much thank you Dom, yeah. some of the notes from you yeah i can second that i mean i think my empty glass is a is a testament to how good it was like we've just been sat here having a lovely conversation and i've been drinking this and every time i have a sip i'm like oh like i just i'm just really enjoying it and yeah it was delicious yeah and no, some of the notes from me have just very very easy to drink and very pleasurable the whole way through so uh it sounds like we should probably move on to the next one uh, welcome back to part two of the Three Fast Men podcast. Still joined with the wonderful Avalanche. Uh, we've poured the next beer, and I have what appears to be in front of me a strawberry milkshake. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty thick one, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a innocent smoothie. Yeah, I was going to say it looks a bit like a smoothie. <laughs> it's not it's, a bad uh, thing at all. No, so we've got O Raspberry in front of us. Uh, I've gone with the kind of traditional pronunciation of Raspberry, although it's spelt a little bit more funky i'd say want a, uh, an explanation of where that came from please take it away so uh this is a well this so this is a beer that we um i i brewed at homebrew um before i like before me i before i got involved um in avalanche brewery um or a similar iteration of it and uh we decided to um to brew it I, I pushed pretty hard for it actually um so it's, it's, it's my baby this one but uh but yeah so um the the name comes from when i was at university um i went to univ i went to uni in london um and there was a there was a bit of a theme at the time of a lot of people being like oh raw <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> when, was, uh, when something mad happened or anything like that and uh you know them kind of sayings that accidentally catch on in your vocabulary. Yeah, um, you, you kind of start saying it like ironically, and then you can't stop saying it. And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, after four years at university in London, I was saying, "Oh, raw." Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and when we when we kind of we didn't have the name even um, kind of as we were brewing the beer and we were stood there and we were like you know what are we going to call this um, and you were like raw what no I was just like oh, raw oh raw I and mean, then we were both like that is amazing yes even if nobody else gets it we're okay with it <laughs> there's definitely well, a market for niche references so you've absolutely hit the mark I love it <laughs> thank you <laughs> no there are a few breweries have built well they make good beer as well but they have built a following on uh, who can identify what weird obscure tv program this quote comes from yeah absolutely yeah. the, the um I, I think there's one uh, what they pomona island yeah the, yeah, yeah they, everything that they do is yeah yeah quite good i like that i think like i have that. picked up a few of the quotes from those so we probably should talk a little bit more about oh raspberry uh <laughs> it's a pale ale but it's got raspberry in it um so with the pale ale is it a similar base to polaris is it a completely different yeah, so it's a similar base. Um, it is a little bit different. Um, we we added uh, 
a little bit more oats to this one. Um, so we're looking for a bit more of a mouthfeel. But basically the intent of this beer um, and kind of our vision before we brewed it is um, there's a lot of raspberry beers out there. Um, and obviously coming into the summer, it's just a great time to be drinking kind of a fruity beer. Everyone loves it in the sun. Um, but what we've generally seen is that you either kind of get a sour, like a raspberry sour, or you get kind of a raspberry dessert beer. So it's like, really mm-hmm. um, and I was like, well, I've never had a raspberry pale ale or a, or a raspberry beer that is just really sessionable, like really soft, really smooth, really well-rounded. So it's like a nice amount of sour, just a little bit, um, but then also not too sweet. And, and we, w- the, the aim of this beer was to kind of hit that bang in the middle and be like, you know, you could sit in a beer garden somewhere and drink a few pints of this and it, it will just go down. But then also you kind of get that massive hit from the raspberries we put um 20 kilograms of raspberry puree in this one which wow. across 150 liters is uh turned out is quite a lot um <laughs> and it's definitely come through in the in the finished beer so um we were yeah. really happy with that but yeah it just kind of finished very well rounded um which is exactly what we're aiming for but it's quite a tricky one isn't it with raspberry because it's not the strongest flavor of fruit uh, of fruit it's it's got a you know almost watery character when you eat them and it, you get that hint and you're always wanting to have a few more to get that kind of concentration yeah yes. and i think once you once you kind of ferment all the sugar out of uh, a fruit like a raspberry it can be very tart which is obviously where kind mm. of the raspberry sour idea comes from and it's, it gives you a good base to make a good sour um but yeah with this one we just kind of wanted to try and round it off and make it um just a good middle ground between not too sweet, not too tart, just somewhere somewhere in the middle that just is a good summer beer garden beer. Yeah, mm. we, we we dry hopped it as well. Um, and uh, that changes the pH balance ever so slightly. So it removes a bit of that tartness. Um, so when we were tasting it off of the tank pre-dry hop, it was it was super tart. And I was like, I was like, oh, Greg, this is like, this is too much. Greg was panicking, but uh, yeah, the, the, the dry hop really kind of rounded it out and balanced it. I know some other breweries that do this stuff end up using like vanilla extract and things like that to add that perceived sweetness. But the dry hop seemed to have worked for us. But uh, yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg kind of came came to me with a bottle of it in home brew. And I was just, I just remember looking at the color and thinking, wow like if we can if we can emulate that on on the bigger setup then yeah i think we might be onto something fairly interesting um but again i think raspberry is one of those ones that i think you either do like it or you don't it's it Mm. i don't know whether it it's a bit of a marmite type of um type of soft fruit i guess but the feedback that we've had so far has been 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 fairly positive um and we've had i think uh in traditional untapped maybe the <laughs> maybe the odd one which is like, it's a bit sour i don't like <laughs> obviously um, they were like it's got fruit in it <laughs> yeah I don't like sours yeah <laughs> bought, raspberry, beer. yeah bought raspberry beer don't like raspberry yeah so <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it's it, it's it's really good i kind of like for me i get like that big jammy dodger type hit off it there's not loads of multi stuff going on but like i get this big jammy dodger hit um on the palate and it's quite and we used to fight yeast as well just to uh, throw that out there so we, we the kvike i think adds a little bit of funk to it as well i don't know if you guys get that it's it's definitely not like a the polaris kind of normal dry finishing yeast um mm. it's definitely got a little bit more of that farmhousey 
not too much, but a little bit of funk going on. Yeah, and I, I think um, Kavai generally as well is very good at bringing out the fruitiness in fruit. Um, it's yeah. very, it's very kind of because it's got that funk. It kind of um, really brings out the fruity flavors in beer. Mm. Um, so that's kind of why we went for it. And that that original homebrew recipe that I'd made previously that had Kavai in it, and we were like, it's one of the reasons it works. So let's get that. No, it, it really has done a job there. And I, now you've said it, I can pick it out. Or maybe I'm imagining it. But it, there is that <laughs> slight thing at tingle at the end, which, which is pretty interesting. I, the colour is fantastic. I'd, yeah. I'd love to see it like a a small run, kind of 750 milliliter bottle, clear glass bottle with just that colour coming out of it. I, I, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying like the mouthfeel of this one, to be honest, um, because... It comes across as it comes across as quite like luxurious, but yet still easy to drink. Like yeah, you look at it and you're like, that's gonna be thick. You taste it and you're like, that is thick. And then you swallow it and you're like, oh no, actually, I'll go back. Yeah, and I think that that came from an element of a few things. So um, like Rob said earlier, we we like to use um, flaked wheat in the beers. It kind of introduced a little bit of sweetness, but a, a really good mouthfeel and um, with this beer as well, we also introduced uh, flaked oats as well, um, and we kind of increased the amount compared to what we do in Polaris, um, and that that definitely helped with the thickness. But also, I think one of the big factors is the fact that we put twenty kilos of raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that is definitely a big part of it. So I think all of them combined that combines to give you that kind of thick mouthfeel. But I think because it's not super sweet, it's uh, it's surprisingly sessionable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the the uh, the, ferme- the, uh, the fermenter at the end of uh, <laughs> at the end of this brew was like a horror show, like this <laughs> this <laughs> this like red and green coloured mess coming out oh, of the bottle. It was like uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was pretty scary looking, but like, um, like a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah really cool. Just yeah, exploding everywhere. <laughs> So we've got to take a second to talk about the can here yeah. because we've got Polaris. It's quite toned back, you know, it's just got the constellations on it. And then we've got O'Raspberry. And I mean, it's pink. It's got all these funky colours, funky text. It stands out completely. Does this mean, is it still part of the core range or is it a separate beer? So with this one, we uh, we decided it's, it's not part of the core range. We wanted to make something a bit different that would... Um, kind of really go with the summer vibes um something that would stand out and you could drink in the sun and it's obviously i think when 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 you're making a core beer it's something that's a bit of a all year rounder so the polaris you could kind of pick it up in the winter pick it up in the spring it doesn't really matter what the weather you could have a pint of it enjoy it and this one yeah. um, just a bit of a fruited pale special for the summer um but i also think that yeah, it was a bit of a mess to brew. So I think if we if we were if we had to brew that regularly, it would uh, it would be a lot of cleaning. But yeah, so with the can, we went for a design that was very different to um, Polaris, just to kind of show it's not part of that core range. And I think the main thing was that we wanted the color of the can to resemble the color of the beer. So as you're pouring it, what's coming out is what you see on the can. Um, and I think we did quite well at that to some extent. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, just something that kind of stands out off the shelf, um, and something that you you know you'd wanna you'd wanna give it a go. Yeah, and I think you'd be very hard pressed to walk past this, and not <laughs> at least not at least take a side glance. You know, you're at least gonna look at it and stop in your tracks. Yeah, exactly what I was gonna say. And like, 
it, it like can design is getting more and more important in like can shops and bottle shops like we've all said on the podcast before when we started drinking craft beer we're going to shops not knowing the breweries or not knowing who's brewed them the can design like is it plays a big factor on what you pick out and this is a can that you definitely stop and i think i'd even pick up probably and just have a look at it yeah i think that's 100 percent um a factor like i think it's one of the biggest things is uh, if you can't get someone to pick up your can, then they're not going to know if you make good beer or not. So mm. uh, it's the first thing you see and first impressions are pretty important, I think. Um, and that, and as I kind of came into um, Avalanche, um, me and Rob had a conversation and this kind of like uh, this big push coming out of a pandemic, we we decided we just needed a bit of a bit of an update with kind of the logo design and, um, and obviously going into cans and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we just kind of, took a step back and had a look and were like, you know, what, what do we want our brand to be? What do we want it to look like? And um, that's kind of what we decided on. Well, for people wondering what it does look like, I'm sure you can find it on both our Instagram and your Instagram, I imagine. Yeah, you can find it on our Instagram at Avalanche Brew. And if you want to purchase it, you can get it nationwide now, which is a, a news update. So we've got a, uh, a stockist called The Beer Garage and their Instagram is at The Beer Garage. Um, or www.thebeergarage.co.uk. Yeah, you, you can buy it on there and um, they do national delivery now. So uh, it's Fantastic. the first time where our beer is finally accessible to all. Well, there's no more excuses. So raspberries in this one, any plans for either this summer or future summers for similar beers with other fruits? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we have had a conversation about peach um and we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet we've got a few ideas um it could be sour it might not be it could be similar style to the old raspberry but it also might not be and there is also an idea to add as well maybe yeah maybe um but there is, there's an idea to add a special ingredient which i won't yet give away okay um, and we'll see how it turns out but, how many more how many more beers do we have to drink in this pod and then maybe yeah, we'll get some work irrigation <laughs> 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 technique just get a bit more dry. well i couldn't even i couldn't even drink the polaris because we uh at the brew we haven't got any in stock because they're all oh. sold out so uh, wow greg not to this not to make you feel bad but i uh, i went into the i went into the brewery just before and there was a can with uh in, in the stock with three question marks on it I gambled, and that actually turned out that it was Polaris. Oh. <laughs> so I had a Polaris <laughs> wow. uh, first session. High stakes move. Could could have been anything, but yeah, yeah, gambled and yeah, got a Polaris. So apologies. You're a, you're a lucky, you're a lucky man. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, so, so with the mystery ingredient that might go into the peach, there, there were a few breweries around that are throwing some funky ingredients with with fruit and sort of mixing and matching different fruits together is there anyone you kind of look at who's doing that the kind of you kind of taking inspiration for from or is it not not your not your bag i think i think the guys that are doing it really well i mean three hills locally again they're they're doing the spirit of nature and and those um those fruited um wild fermented the forbidden fruits Mm. yeah they're doing some really really interesting things and um yeah that series has been really good but i think the other standout for me at least has been uh north brew their okay. triple yeah, yeah. fruited, triple fruited. Goes range yeah um which has been like uh just just amazing um they had a tap takeover at uh the hot master again in rushton quite close by and uh, they had a couple of them on this was obviously pre-covid but um oh they're just just mind-blowingly good um 
and yeah I think for me North are just oh, just smashing it out of the park I'm not sure whether we'd be able to achieve something like that like the volumes of the volumes of fruit and things that they must be getting into that are, are insane and I think going further afield than that like the likes of Omnipolo again that are quite quite funky and quirky with their fruited stuff um that's that's interesting but for me yeah north are smashing it out of the park yeah i think for me vault city are uh yeah there when it comes to the fruited sours they they definitely put out some very interesting stuff and some yeah. probably quite brave combinations that seem to work very well so yeah so yeah. so many times i've seen their releases and been like why have you done this why have you done this add to basket I think sour beers is something that we definitely like to look to try in the future. Um, maybe a bit of mixed firm as well. Um, even at homebrew, uh, I've kind of experimented previously with uh, yeast cultures, um, and I managed to managed to capture a wild yeast in the <laughs> name Farm Wild. Whilst everyone else was playing Pokemon Go, was it uh, was it was yeah. it an Ultra Ball that you used? <laughs> yeah, honestly. So uh, so yeah, I brewed I brewed just uh, at homebrew just to give it a go, see what happened, and it worked surprisingly well. Produced a pretty good beer. So I think um, it's something that we might look into. Um, might get a sample of it off to the lab and just see what's in it. Um, and if it's all good stuff, then it might be something that we could uh, look at upscaling. Is that with with kind of jumping into these new styles? Is it a case of you might look to a kind of brewery that you know does it quite well and, and look to collab with them and, and learn a little bit that way, or just sort of jumping in the deep end by yourself? Yeah, I think the co- collab route is is really really good. I mean, I think to see a brewery in action is uh, you're probably going to learn more there than you would at, at any other point. Uh, and and now that we, you know, hopefully can start seeing everybody again and, you know, going here, there and everywhere, we can we can go and pick up on some of those things that we were going to do, you know, pre, pre-COVID. Um, I'd started having a chat with the guys um, at a brewery in Bristol called Masquerade. Very, very small guys, kind of very similar setup to us in terms of like the tanks that they use and the size that they, they kind of, I think they do a little bit of gypsy brewing with Fierce who are in Bristol as well. Oh, wow. I'd started a conversation with them and hopefully you can pick that up again and go and see them and just, yeah, get a look at their setup and who knows, maybe maybe work on something together. But yeah, it's, I mean, from, from our perspective, like when I spent some time with Three Hills, it was just great to see their process and how they approach things. Um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we can we can rebrew the um, the black IPA that we did with them when when we originally started from the homebrew scene that went it went down really really well. Um, Sorry, I I, th- I think that would go down really well now as well because black IPA seems to be a thing that's like mm. coming coming back into fashion a little bit because I know it was something that was sort of underground and there were a few people doing it, but not too many. Mm. But now I think it's kind of come back to the forefront. People are a little bit more excited about them almost. Yeah, I think so. It does seem to have that. It seemed to come back around again in a quite quickly in a weird way. I don't, I Mm. don't know. It's like, yeah, they seem to be there and then all of a sudden gone a year or so, two years later, they're back in style again. So hopefully we can rebrew that with them and, and, and collab on that again. That would be great. But yeah, I mean, there's some other breweries out there that, you know, hopefully in time we'll get an opportunity to, to talk to and maybe go and see. There's I mentioned earlier Black and Sun in Milton Keynes. Yeah. Um, we've spoken to those guys recently and they focus kind of predominantly on Belgian style beers. Oh, nice. Um, so uh, and, and the guy there, Gary, from, from you know, 
know having conversations with other people's um a bit of a whiz on the yeast front so just be, just be great to have a chat with him and and uh and yeah to talk about their process and what they do so always learning if every day's school day with this stuff it's it's great fun <laughs> yeah you just have to make sure you don't drink too much while you're doing it with them that you forget it all yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the key, the key to reading is good note taking. I was going to say that's which, what notepads are for. <laughs> which both Greg and I are terrible at, anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually you got to drive home as well. So uh, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. yeah. No, you need. Yeah, you need to find someone that's got good links to a public public transport, and then you're golden. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so we have a question that we ask to everybody that comes onto the podcast, and that is a question of if you had no commercial pressure. No kind of limitations on, on equipment. What style of beer w- would you brew? Don't have to worry about selling it. Oh, that's a good one. That is a really good one. I think for me, like, I I definitely see myself myself in the way that I think about things. I'm I'm quite a purist. I, I, I like going back to earlier saying I like to do quote unquote simple things, but just do them do them well. So if there are things that I could brew over and over again, it just would be pale ales ipas those kind of things that i just love that style it's what i enjoy drinking uh, hopefully that's not too bland of an answer but there are just so many great great examples out there of that 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 kind of ilk i mentioned them earlier day of steady rolling man and a lot of the verdant stuff from their original core range light bulb and headband and those kind mm. of things um i just I've just got so much time for it. I think there's such a, such a great skill and great craft in doing those things well. I'm not sure if you guys have ever had Daya's, um Pilsner, Tappy Pills. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just again, like stuff like that. I just that is just me all over. Like I, I could drink that, like my desert island beer or something. I could brew over and over <laughs> again. I'd love to be able to nail something like they've done with with Tappy Pills. I'm just massively impressed every single time i drink it it doesn't have to be earth like it's not it's not something that's going to change the world it's just a style that's done really really well so that'd be for me i'm, I'm sure greg's got a different answer greg's kind of more of the uh the creative streak <laughs> whereas I'm, 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 a bit more Billy Basic. I'm not going to say super wacky I'm, i like to try you can you can go super wacky. yeah yeah yeah. Well, yeah i mean i think i'm trying to think of something that would work well in a beer and i had a conversation um a couple of weeks ago with uh the guys at beer garage who are the guys who uh who stock our beer and ship it uk wide um <laughs> good plug yeah i know yeah i don't know if we've, um, we've has that been mentioned that they're now ship, shipping nationwide <laughs> i think they'll be very happy to hear that you know On... they ship uk wide um but yeah so I was, I was having a conversation with him and um and we were kind of kind of answering this question um and i was thinking Convenient. what is something what is something that I like to drink or we like to drink that would just make a cracking beer if you could make it work. And this is what it kind of relies on. I might be giving too much away here, but peach iced tea. Everybody likes a peach iced tea. If you could make that into a beer, it would be quite nice. It didn't take yeah. long for him to give it no. away. It? <laughs> it was half a beer. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even sure it was that, to be honest. This is the problem now. If it doesn't work, then... Um, so so what so what style would that be? Would it be like a pale ale? Would it be more towards the sour end of the spectrum? Yeah, it's, it's got to be pale, surely. Pale with yeah. Well, I yeah. think I think it would have to be a pale ale, um, but it would like have to have body. Kind of, 
Yeah, well, this is what this is what I'd, I'd kind of say. You want to take all of the flaked wheat, all of the flaked oats, all of the stuff that gives it body, which might be tough when, you know, looking at this raspberry pale ale, one of the things that added a lot of thickness was the fruit. So yeah. Uh, yeah. to add fruit and not add thickness, that that could be a real challenge. But um, but peach yeah. Is, peach could work. It's, it's, I think it's quite a thin flavour as well, isn't it? It's... Not yeah, I think so. I guess that's probably why it works quite well in iced tea as well. And um, there's probably a kind of cheaty method of kind of using half fruit and half extract. Oh, I'm not. I'm not about that. Uh, it's not I, uh, <laughs> fruit or bust. I, I, I this is where this is where maybe I'm a little bit of a purist, and I like the idea of you know creating flavors and creating beers that um that come from kind of pure ingredients. Um, yeah, not like the tiny rebel. Not done on the tiny rebel route yeah i'm not i'm not particularly sold on that i know a lot of people that do like them but um i just yeah you can kind of um identify that it's not maybe the purest fruit that goes into it but that is just a personal preference for me really um so uh but yeah so i think if if we did try and brew it um yeah i'd, I'd be on board of getting let's get as much real peach as we can <laughs> well uh, all eyes out for the lipton collab then yeah if you're listening Lipton's and I don't know if you're aware Lipton's but they are now ship nationwide <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they do actually <laughs> <laughs> have a look. so we so obviously this beer is a home brew that's gone really well it's it's an idea Greg you've pitched to Rob and you both thought it was delicious have either of you pitched something to the other person that has gone down awfully? Have you come up with an idea and gone, let's make this beer? And the other person's gone, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think we've done that yet, have we? I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen I like at some yes. point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. that, exactly. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. At, it will happen at some point. I think, um, again, I think I always try, go, going back to Alex, go down the purest route i'm i'm very much for like trying to do things in a particular style and do 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 them well and i think greg's definitely kind of like okay we'll do this peach we'll do a, we'll go look at have a look at this peach thing and go down that route and uh, hey like the the raspberry pale ale worked out really really well so like whatever's coming up next we're just going to back it and kind of go for it um i just don't think you you, you just don't know until you try and uh, um one of the good things is that Greg will continue to like do bits of homebrew. And okay. if, if the basis of it is there and it works and the flavors are there, then yeah, okay, brilliant. We'll, we'll try and scale it up and see, see how it works. There's nothing, nothing worse than going, okay, let's try and do this and <laughs> brewing 200 liters of it and then going, Oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to put that down the drain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything, there's been anything that we've particularly fallen out on. I think, um, that raspberry pale ale, I was like, I had to push it a little bit. Um, but I think, yeah, after, I, I, I think you were sceptical, Rob, until you tried the homebrew one. So uh, you weren't particularly on board. And then I brewed it at homebrew, gave you one, and you were like, oh, my God, yes. That, that's yeah. rogue. It's, it's rogue that you pitched it before you'd even tried it yourself. Well, yeah. I, 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 I brewed it the first time, um, probably about a year ago, and at the time it was nice. And uh, and then I told Rob about it when I kind of got involved, and I was like, "This would be the perfect summer beer. Everyone's going to love it." Rob and he was like, "Well, I think they might, but I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go down." And then um, I rebrewed it to show him, and he was like, "Yes, let's do this." And then um, and then we we took that recipe, didn't we? And we and we made it our own. I mean that 
the old raspberry is not the same beer that I brew at homebrew. Um, mm. And, you know, we adapted it and made it the style and the brand of Avalanche that we kind of want to put beers out under. So um, it's definitely an improved version. I have no doubt about that. I mean, the interesting thing is that beer has changed dramatically over time as well. Like I remember it fresh off the tank into maybe cans for the first couple of weeks and to where it is now. Like the, the more I've had this and it's got a bit warmer, it's opened up a bit more mm. and I'm starting to pick things up in it that I absolutely couldn't when we first brewed it and we first canned it um and, and i think a lot of that's to do with the kvike and uh, and you know maybe how that's developed over time and and, and kind of settled things out um yeah yeah it's, i think it's a diff it, it, every time i've had it over the course of the last month two months it's been different and i've picked up different things as i've gone along so it's been a really it's been a really interesting it's been a really interesting one for me yeah let's let's do some more kind of like fruited pails and see see where that takes us i think i'd i'd like to try and look at maybe like um like a hefeweizen or something like that mango kind of hefeweizen if we can do something along that line um mm. that would be an interesting one to maybe try um in, in the future as well maybe like try and do a decoction mash or something super complicated oh, with wow. it as well and yeah go like full on full on you know and the fruit of the, i was i was very very impressed when when that homebrew came through i was like as greg is into that quite skeptical at first and yeah uh i was like oh is this gonna work are we actually gonna be able to sell it like we're gonna put 20 20 kilos of raw you can imagine yeah. how expensive 20 kilos yeah, it, it, is. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting trying to source it as well because at that scale you kind of you go to a wholesaler and they're like 20 kilos is nothing we don't really want to talk to you or they're mm. like or you're kind of like trying you're thinking can i go into Little and buy is that loud um yeah we managed to find um quite a good stockist in the end um and ended up using puree because it was just a much more mm. kind of feasible solution um but yeah it ended up working out really well in the end so uh so yeah we're pretty happy with that yeah i imagine that you are at kind of a size where there is there's not the full yeah, the, the kind of full economies of scale that you, the kind of big guys are, are dealing with when they're buying hundreds of kilos or thousands of kilos at once. But you are a few a few shopping trolleys if you were trying to buy it at, uh, at retail. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we, we, we're in that really weird kind of, we're in a, that transitional point at the moment where I, I just today um, put the signature on our first hop contract. So oh, wow. usually we could just spot purchase hops and get those for, for the brew. But obviously with stuff like Polaris, we want to make sure there's consistency mm. going forward. And, and, you know, it's been a weird time who, who knows whether we'll be able to like consistently get citra mosaic amarillo we don't know so we've entered into a hot contract and kind of got that in place and we just want to make sure that that beer you know ends up being consistent but it's a big step it's a big step for us to, com to commit to that that amount of hops for us which is which is huge and a crazy amount we're talking about like our hop contracts are about 50 kilos but in comparison to some of the other guys out there like three hills they'll be getting through 50 kilos in maybe like a month or something yeah, like that yeah. yeah so you know i think 
I, I think we're in terms of the scale of the brewery I think it's what people describe as a pico brewery I think that's okay the, so I think it's the size under the, the one under nano I think yeah. that's how and then be. Uh, and above femto if I above remember femto, my prefixes yes you're absolutely I think that's correct yeah I think femto is like 30 to the minus 15 yeah oh wow oh. nice <laughs> this, <laughs> this guy did a science out. degree <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah the, the, there are challenges that obviously challenges that come with that we um, we obviously use a lot of dried yeast and things at the moment, whereas I'm a big fan of using um, liquid and liquid yeasts in, in a lot of homebrew. But at that scale, it works. But for but for us doing it one day a week, mm. you know, a, a 200 litre pitch of yeast could be like, you know, 60 to 80 quid, something like that. And can we reuse it? Can we can we propagate it again? And we've got all these logistical challenges at the moment as we're making that transition, mm. um, uh, which, which does make it really difficult. Maybe Polaris in the future might get some kind of, uh, you know, liquid yeast addition. I think this Raspberry Pale could would benefit from something a little bit. We did have, it actually did actually say Rob, that, Greg. It did have a liquid yeast pitch, didn't I just, it? I was just about to take Yeah, off. thank he you for correcting me, mate. So, I can another, see him. Another reason that this is... Um, this is probably not part of the core range and not sustainable to brew, you know, every single week is, um, is for that reason. So the Kvike yeast that we use was a liquid pitch. Um, and we, well, I, pro- I propped it out um, myself from the pitch that we had and made it kind of a viable amount that would, uh, that would go into that beer. So that, that in itself was an interesting challenge, but it seemed to work. Um, we're pretty lucky with Kvike yeast as well, because it is just such a yeast on steroids. that it can Super hardy with, and yeah, it can takes everything with. you throw at it versatile as what well, i would say um, okay yeah, but yeah no, so uh, so yeah it, it probably maybe did, did us some favors with that but yeah so that was that was the first beer that we made with a liquid pitch um and i think like rob said over time that that kvike is really coming through when we first had it off the tank you probably wouldn't necessarily call it out and say you know this is it this is a kvike um beer it just didn't have that funkiness but as time's kind of gone on and it's kind of just aged a little bit in packaging it's uh it's really starting to come through um and that raspberry note is still pretty out there as well like if you give it a smell that's that's the first thing you get jeremy dodges yeah well i think that's a nice lead on to kind of final final thoughts on the beer because i've just finished mine so uh <laughs> we should probably talk about it while my memory is fresh i mean you know raspberries again a very very sessionable beer I've got, I've got no complaints. Dom, Matt, how have you found it? Yeah, I mean, I was I was a little bit sceptical going into it just because fruited, fruited pails is something you have, like you say, you have sometimes and it's too much fruit or not enough of the pail. Like, it doesn't feel true to style, whereas this feels like a really good marriage of the two. It's like you can tell you've brewed a pale ale and you can tell the raspberries have come in and just, like, lifted it. Like it's just worked really well together. Again, going back to the mouthfeel, like I really enjoyed that it was it was a big mouthfeel, but then it mellowed out and then kept you going back in. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Matt? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really like raspberries. They're one of my favorite fruits. So uh, when I had the first of this, uh, it kind of made me feel like when Jack Grealish gets subbed on for England, it was just exciting. Um, and I just, just really, really enjoyed it. Um, and you, you should put that on the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, just like I just wrote down really like really soft raspberry, um, which I think was was kind of missed for what like going for. Like it, it didn't have 
the like tartness that raspberries can have you still knew raspberry was there and yeah i think you'd, you'd worked it really well and this is i really really enjoyed this being a big fan of raspberries first of all matt i just want to say you're taking notes you're far more professional than i am <laughs> uh, and i do have a, a sort of other thought that i didn't think of when i first started talking about this of that I think in my head I'd had a lot of raspberry flavouring in a beer, but a lot of it was in a kind of milkshake IPA. So it was really refreshing uh, getting to the end of this and not feeling slightly sickly because it, it, yeah. it was clean the whole way through and you didn't have that. I don't know if it's just because I'm lactose intolerant. Uh, when you get to the end of a milkshake IPA and you kind of think, oh, I feel a bit guilty for that. It was yeah, just clean the whole way through. Have if you are lactose intolerant. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is um, kind of exactly what we aimed for with this beer, like something where you can drink it and be like, do you know what? That was refreshing. It was fruity. It was nice, but I could have another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 More desserty beers. Um, that's not necessarily something you do. Um, you just have it to enjoy it as that one. Um, but yeah, this one's just kind of a lot softer and it hasn't got that. It's, it's much more dry. It hasn't really got that kind of um, really sweet note to it. Well, uh, unfortunately, we can't have another one because the next in the lineup is a dipper. So we're going to make a trip to the fridge and everyone else can get a jingle. <laughs> they drink beer, so much beer. All of the different types of beer. They drink beer, lots of beer. It's beer. Uh, welcome back to part three of the Three by Seven podcast, series three, episode one. We're still joined with Greg and Rob from Avalanche Brewing Company. Uh, and Matt and Dom are still here with me, despite the fact that I called them pricks in part one. We've moved on to a Big Dipper, another another star-themed star name. Uh, Big Dipper is unsurprisingly a dipper. Uh, and it's described as a soft, hazy IPA that shines bright on the palate. Greg, Rob, is that... Just marketing, or, or are you right here? Is this uh, is this the star in your in your core range? Well, I guess uh, I, I guess that's for you guys to be the judge. But yeah, no, this beer um, is kind of a follow on from Polaris. So um, hopefully, uh, as a podcast called the Three Vice Men, you appreciate the pun. Yeah, uh, no, really love that. But yeah, so we we kind of uh, brought out Polaris, and then we always had the intention to um, to work on a double IPA we thought what better name than Big Dipper, which is um, part of the Ursa Minor constellation, the same as Polaris. Um, so that's kind of where we went with that one. But uh, the intention of this beer was to make a delicious um, extra dry hopped or double dry hopped um, double IPA. So um, following on from Polaris, it's got a similar kind of grain bill, um, but uh, we mixed it up a little bit and went with uh, Citra Mosaic and Equinot on this one. So we didn't want it to be uh, too similar, but um, similar in the sense there's not a huge amount of bitter in hop um, and uh, a pretty hefty dry hop. So, so yeah, let us know what you think. I was going to say, even without the, the kind of bittering hop you do, just from the extra strength, you get a bit of bitterness on there. Yeah, uh, and I, th I think that's what helps us fall into the ballpark of dippers that I enjoy. Um, because sometimes they can just get too sweet, whereas like you still let you still know you're drinking a dipper when you drink this, mm. which I quite enjoy. Like you still have the alcohol in there, and you can tell. Um, because there are definitely some that just get like too sweet, and you think it's like a four percent beer. You drink four or five of them, and then suddenly you don't know where you are. 
but this is this is really good like it's pours a great color yeah. smells delicious and yeah i've i've enjoyed my first few sips definitely I, i'm certainly guessing that yeah again not too sweet i think is the, is the key descriptor here i've got loads of stone fruit loads of of all the stuff you'd expect to get from the hops but it's not in a way that i kind of it all merges together at the end I, i've still got quite a clean identification of, of the flavors i picked up and it's yeah quite dry on the finish again as well absolutely yeah i think again i think if there's a theme that probably runs through it's that a lot of those beers again we, we touched on it earlier they can get a little bit claggy and mm. a bit much uh, and we do like to finish our beers a little bit drier and not exactly saying that an eight percent beer is is intended to be sessionable so that you could go for more and more and more that's obviously not the case but it, it, responsibly. It, yeah absolutely yes <laughs> yes please do everyone yeah. and but, uh, uh, <laughs> gamble responsibly as well what we're here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and the fun stop stop. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think for 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 us, we, we we like to finish our beers a little bit drier, just so that I don't know. There's, I, for me, there's always that little bit of something where you can okay, I can go for the next sip. I can go for the next sip. I can go for yeah. the next sip. Um, and a lot of double IPAs do yeah finish very sweet. There's a big body, quite um, quite a lot of stuff going on. So we wanted to do that in this, and this is our first shot at a double IPA as well. So this is first run, first go. Um, I think there's definitely things in there that I pick up on that I would like to tweak um, and, and change around a bit. I think in terms of like a brewing process perspective, I'd, I'd maybe like to tweak around with the water a little bit more. But I think as a first go, like I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty happy with where it is. I love Equinox. Um, mm. I think Equinot is a real standout in there. It works really well with Citroen Mosaic. Everyone calls them cheetah hops because they just, just work perfectly well. But e Equinot within that as well, I think gives um, that real stone fruit vibe going on. Um, yeah, so quite happy with all the hop pairings in there, really. Yeah, mm. no, definitely. And when you say this is your first attempt at a dipper, is that your first attempt as Avalanche? Or have you both tried it in homebrew? Or was this a completely fresh Let's do a dipper. Uh, Greg's done a dipper recently, and I've done a dipper in the past, but it's the first time that we've done it at scale. Okay. So, uh, again, the challenges of brewing at the scale that we do, um, in reality, our mash tun is probably maxed out at about an 8% beer. You've, you've got a very, very full mash tun, <laughs> and it can be quite hard to... Uh, it, you've got the risks of stuck mashes, everything, all that awful mm. stuff that comes with yeah. it. So we're very much pushing the limit of where we can go right now with that setup without having to do, like, a double brew or adding sugar. Okay. And, and again, I think both Greg and I didn't want to get to the point where we would have to add extra sugar or fermentables to this to push it to that eight percent we wanted to get that from from the grain bill um so yeah we we really really maxed out the mash tun on this one uh, um it was a it was a big old a big old boy wasn't it for uh, only like 120 liters or whatever we were doing it was pretty mad yeah and i think um maybe to add on to that as well um I think there's a big difference between kind of trying to make a double IPA at homebrew. Um, obviously, kind of you're limited on the quality of your equipment. Um, mm. And one of the things that makes a double IPA so good is kind of that um, that big dry hop. Um, and if you do that at homebrew, you're just going to see 
a lot of oxidization. So mm. I think if you make kind of a, um, a double IPA at homebrew, you've got to look more at kind of a West Coast style. Um, whereas this one, we obviously um, wanted to go for a, a nice, heavy, dry hop. Um, and because we've got yeah. this pressure fermenter, it allows us to do that without um, kind of seeing oxidization and being able to do kind of close transfers and stuff like that. So um, even though we've kind of tried it independently at homebrew before, this was kind of a different kettle of fish and we were looking at a very different style of beer. Um, so is that, yeah, the first time we've really tried it um, properly from that point of view. I, I think sort of talking about style slightly, and I know we mentioned earlier, this isn't, it's not a sweet beer. I kind of put this in the kind of mountain <laughs> IPA or double double yeah, yeah. range. East I don't know West. if that's yeah, East Miss West. There's there's a slight. It's not too sweet. It's mm. it's still very drinkable. I don't know if that's sort of where you expected it to end up, or if I'm kind of I've just been drinking beers that are far too sweet recently. No, I think you're absolutely right. Again, it's the same yeast that we would. It's the American uh, ale strain that okay. we would use in this as a dry yeast. And I think the, the, the big differentiator that you get in a lot of the, the great double IPAs that are out there, you'll see like London Ale 3, or yeah. London Fog, those kind of things used as the core yeast. Um, and that really offers like that smoothness, that stone fruit thing going on. So I think, yeah, there's, I think definitely what you're picking up there and perceiving is driven by the yeast more than anything else. Mm. Um, finishes drier, cleaner. There's none of, there's no kind of that ester production that you would get. And, you know, in a lot of those double IPAs, verdant style, again, you might pick up some vanilla and those bits going on. It doesn't really have any of that. It kind of, you can taste that it's a big beer but the hops are really there just doing the talking more than anything else mm. um i'd really love to do this beer again that would be the main thing that i would do differently and like to change i would i would use like a london london okay. three or something like that to see what the the final product would be like i think it would offer a lot of a softer finish maybe wouldn't get as much of some of the alcohol tones that that, that are coming out of it but yeah um yeah i think i think that's probably would be the next iteration of the big dipper i, I was going to ask that really because you kind of set your stall out a little yeah. bit with not just the beers that you brew but the way you've been talking of that you quite like the dry finish for the other stuff very sessionable does that limit the kind of yeast choice you have i know that there were two different yeasts for the first two but in terms of like i know the verdant yeast is now commercially available mm. is that stuff you kind of thought about playing around with a little bit more yeah it would be there's um there's another yeast um there's a there's a company in ireland called wicklow hops and they offer a they offer some um commercial liquid yeast pitches they've yeah. got some strains called saturated yeah um which again are kind of like london, london ale style uh, we would definitely like to play around with those a bit more i think again our biggest limitation is that as it's a right now part-time project a passion project for both of us the yeast maintenance is a really yeah. like if, if you're operating a brewery like you've got yeah. to have somebody on that every single day feeding it making sure it's good taking cell counts checking the, the health of it and yeah we just don't have the time for that unfortunately so that's the that's the biggest limiting factor otherwise i think we'd be using it far more frequently also cost cost as yeah. well um, yeah. but i think that's associated with the fact that these other breweries can harvest it again and reuse it and go through five six seven generations um and then get a new pitch in um so i think it is cost effective when you've got the the, the resource to manage it properly yeah. yeah i think i think it's something that we definitely like to look into in the future kind of liquid yeast and introducing that and i think 
a lot of our beers do finish quite dry at the moment and part of that is because of uh, the yeast that we use um but i feel like one day we will look into the liquid yeast as we kind of have time to do it and i i i believe that you'd be able to kind of achieve yeah, that yeah. same kind of sessionability and it wouldn't be as dry but it wouldn't be kind of like sickly sweet at the same time and you could still use that yeast to improve the beer and make it um Mm. and make it better and have a lot more kind of flavor but um but still retaining that um drinkability of it i think that's part of the beauty of it isn't it yeah it it, it is yeah i think that's the beauty of it as well is that we can come to a point where we go okay well let's try let's try polaris now with a with a a wet yeast and see how that turns out Mm. and you know based on what we perceive and feedback from everybody else we can make a decision then as to as to what works and again that's the joy of it all is that you you're constantly looking for areas of improvement and refinement and yeah you want to you want to put the pursuit of making the best thing that you possibly can yeah, yeah I, definitely I that's me, the reason you keep brewing isn't it yeah I, I think me and rob are probably our two biggest critics which i think is probably quite important like we uh we drink the beers off the tanks and try them and basically just say you know what is yeah, bad about yeah. this beer like if anything bad about it what is bad we need to improve it we need to change it and that's kind of what we're always trying to do and then um give it to other people and get their feedback and they really enjoy it but we're like no we know we know we need to change yeah. it we'll you're wrong it. you're wrong there's a flaw here you've not seen it yeah. <laughs> yeah well i think i think the more you you brew the same beer and the more you drink the same beer like you notice the subtle differences and you notice you know where improvements can be made um and you know if other people can't perceive that that's probably a good thing for you um mm. but it, yeah it's, it's kind of good for us we have a lot of conversations a lot of tasting sessions where we're like you know what do we need to do to to get it to the next level and the next level and the next level uh, i know you said this is the first dipper you brewed is it going to be continuously brewed as part of a core range it's got a very similar you know branding to the polaris yeah i think that was the that was the intent and i think that is still there the core range is a, is a, is a it's a difficult one, um, and particularly the scale that we're at. At the, at the moment, we're fortunate enough to have particular contracts where we can, you know, contract brewing it and it, it goes out somewhere and it's all spoken mm. for. That that's great, um, and that works for a core style. And one of the things that we spoke about earlier was that kind of the clamour for new and for different, mm. and people wanting yeah. something completely different and new all of the time. And I think that's where some of the core range is really struggling. It becomes harder for us at our scale to produce something like that. That everybody's like, okay, yeah, well, you know, if we if we put some Polaris up on an online supplier somewhere, no more plugging, Greg, please. Um, <laughs> if we put a, if we put a Polaris up there, um, you know, week in week out, I think people will keep picking up, but it will get to a point where things slow down. I've yeah. had that before. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to go for that again. And it's a real hard market to kind of tap into. Uh, and I think you need the outlets to do that, i.e. you want to be distributing that in keg somewhere and you mm. want to have yeah. some decent outlets for that. Uh, it's a, I it's a very say... valid point, isn't it? We do speak to a few people, and I know when we had Turning Point on, and their, their uh, disco uh Disco King beer is something that it's probably was it forty percent of their output is Disco King, but yeah. it's mostly cask, mostly keg, and that goes around. and And they do all the funky stuff they do in cans, and they they constantly make new beers and all of that. But they have that kind of baseline of business of that's what they're known for locally. That's their kind of local brand is oh yeah, I'll get a pint of Disco King, and you can do that in you know, half the pubs, a third of the pubs around them, uh, and they're yeah. they're good from there. And I don't know if that's the kind of market. That Polaris will sit in eventually, 
whether that's just kind of in Northamptonshire or, or maybe a bit wider or or maybe it's not and maybe you go you have a different beer in your core range that goes out like that and then you can still build with the other stuff yeah that's it i think it's um i think the hope is that we can continue to build the relationships that we've got locally and 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 get decent supplies out there and i think the first thing that we're going to be doing um is investing in uh, another pressure fermenter probably twice the size of what we've got at the moment um that can hopefully service some of that um but then all those other questions are raised is how, how are we gonna with one day a week brew enough and mm. you start to get to the point where you're weighing up okay we need to go full-time with this or we need to figure out a way of making this work so they're all they're all great problems to have and yeah it's trying to get that momentum and everything built up behind it so that you've got enough enough establishments enough enough um uh you know suppliers bars whatever else around you that will take that quantity that will make it a, a, a viable thing for one person possibly to start off with um but i think that's there in Northamptonshire. i think there's i think there's some mm. there's some great places around and we'll continue to build relationships locally and hopefully look for some some more kind of you know national distribution and get ourselves into yeah wherever wherever we possibly yeah. can across the uk <laughs> that would be great i mean have you thought about kind of you know i don't know this this might be you might not want to answer this question but with, with kind of polaris and, and building that base have you thought about potentially contract brewing it on someone else's bigger kit so you have a bit of a stock of it to then kind of send out and build that baseline where you can still do the other stuff yeah. on on your kind of home kit yeah there is the potential to do that i think and we, we we have spoken about that before i think one of the interesting things about our scale is i think because we're so small we, we i think if we were to brew the same beer on a different kit i don't know what yeah. the result would be like i don't exactly. know whether we would get i don't yeah. know whether we would get polaris as it is right now um and that's one of the i guess the 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 quirks of scaling up and going to a different level i'm sure the guys at three at three hills moving to the bermondsey side mm. and having the yeah. seven the seven barrel bit of gear um it's a it's a step up and i'm sure the beers are different and there's different parts of fermentation at well, larger I, scale they might have a, a smaller kit available for uh for use <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah we'll start Always to double up um but uh yeah i think I, I, I think there are all these just associated challenges with scaling and and, and trying mm and get it right and <laughs> and gypsy brewing um or, or like cuckoo brewing or whatever you want to call it would be would be a good option but it's it's trying to find the right set of equipment to do that on and where we are locally there aren't many places that would have that um that facility and possibly even the tank space or time to do it yeah. um so would we, we i think for i think for us and the way that we've always approached it is that it's a bit of natural growth you know we've you know we we can take our time a little bit with it build up build the coffers up go and get a new tank and yeah. you know if the demand's there maybe go and get another one or finance it or whatever but i'd like to always try and keep things in-house i, think. I, I guess yeah. as well while you're small and while this is yeah quite unquote a, a hobby that kind of slow growth is actually probably quite enjoyable as well and it's not not necessarily a slog and i don't know i might be speaking out of turn here but I imagine it's while you're getting you know, yeah, you yeah. Get that positive percentage increase every month or or so. And that there's a, an enjoyment aspect there of, you know, we're doing this well rather than having the full Two pressure. Of, one. You know, we're doing this full time or we've really got to make this work. It's, you know, what we're doing is working well. People are liking our beers. We think we're, we think we're making great beers. We're having a great time. 
absolutely there's a, and there's a lot of breweries that have gone to market that have just invested in equipment and then it's kind of okay well we just we've just got to go and find people to buy the beer now yeah and and we're going at that at a slightly different angle and uh, you know having spent time with three hills and watched their growth and development they went at it at that angle as well is that they never they never over invested or put too much um stock into buy it you know let's let's go and go into a 10 a 10 barrel plant and then just worry about selling the beer they grew naturally they built more suppliers built relationships I think both of us that's that's where we see things going as well we love doing what we do we wouldn't spend like 10 to 12 hours on a Sunday just slaving away trying to brew and package a beer if we didn't you know if we didn't love it and um, yeah hopefully we'll just continue to roll with that passion and the enjoyment that we have and and naturally grow and build from there hopefully that echoes what you would think Greg as well I'm sure I hope it does (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I mean, what I was going to say is kind of when, with that natural growth and that natural progression, it kind of one thing that we that I've noticed since I got involved and since we kind of got the pressure fermenter and stuff like that, there's so much that we don't know um, about how the equipment works, what we need and all of this stuff. And we have to learn that. And part of that growth and part of that progression is finding that out. And I think um, by doing it naturally and, um, and going up, you know, if you make a mistake, um, you can afford to make a mistake because you're not reliant on it. Um, and it's, it, the cost is less in terms of, you know, if you brew a beer and you're like, I can't put this beer out because it's just not very good. You can throw it away and it's not like, you know, thousands of pounds in, in, in ingredients and stuff like that. And we've learned even just since January is kind of, we started this second push so much about so many different things from like equipment to, to just different recipes and yeasts and processes and how to can how to set up a canning machine so that you get a good seam. Like there's so much stuff that you just, you cannot anticipate some of those things you have to learn the hard way. Um, and I think when you have that natural growth, it's, it's, it's less of a hard yeah, lesson. Yeah, it's definitely more forgiving. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of the way that we're going at the moment. And, um, and it seems to be going quite well for us. I think generally we, we have good, product demand and we're just about keeping up with it so like you say um rather than kind of brewing a massive scale and then having to go and try and flog it and get rid of it um it's quite nice to know that people want what you like your beer and what you've got available and um when you know someone comes to you and say oh you know can i get this many cans of polaris and you're like you can but i'm not going to have any available for a couple of weeks that's it's it's Mm. a good feeling to know that you know people want it and it's in demand um, and you've just got to, you haven't got to push it as hard because people are enjoying it and it's kind of selling itself. And in a couple of weeks, it'll be available through. Is it the beer garage? We <laughs> 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 uh, have UK, um, UK, UK distribution. Um, the other the other the other plugin I will put as well is uh, Hotmaster. Um, they have been good enough to um, to put Polaris on their taps as a house beer. That's always available on there on keg. So if you're if you're ever near Rushton, get yourself over there and get yourself. I, I might have to make might have to make the pilgrimage. Yeah. I think you will. It's not yeah, too absolutely. far. Absolutely, yeah. If you head head this way, give us a shout. We'd love to. Yeah, love to join you at yeah, the hot definitely will do. I'll bring the frankincense. Well, <laughs> <laughs> three beers we drank tonight have been pale. Uh, is there an appetite for kind of stout, dark beers in general? I, I think for me that there, there definitely would be. I think we we had plans maybe earlier this year to do to do some kind of imperial stout, um, and I think we've still we've got the tank. We've definitely got the tank space to do it, and the right tanks to do it on. 
um, again, we have the limitation with our mash tun and um, how much beer we can produce based on how much grain's going in. But we could probably do like a double brew and and get an imperial style out. I would mm. love to do one towards the end of the year, something that's a little bit a little bit quirky and different. But yeah. a man like people locally again, like three some of the three hill stuff that's coming out at the moment, like their imperial stouts have just been superb. And they've been phenomenal. Even, yeah. even just like a more sessionable style, like a five, five, six percent style. Do you think that's something you'll maybe look at as part of the core range? That's uh, that's that's something that we've talked about before as well, isn't it, Rob? Like when um, when we kind of developed Polaris, we were talking about, you know, what else could complement this core range. And stout was mm. one of the ideas thrown about. And we did think, you know, a nice sessionable stout, like maybe like 5% is something worth looking at. And I think as the winter comes about, as the as hopefully the British summer after it's uh, it's been a delicious summer. Um, after it comes home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. After we've all celebrated yeah. down in pints of Polaris Pale Ale, um, <laughs> we will, uh, we, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look at kind of a of a, uh, a stout going into the winter after you where we are in Northamptonshire as well. Like water, well, but not say Northamptonshire, but where we are in Northamptonshire, our water is perfect for stouts, it's really, really good. Um, and kind of we don't need to really do much treatment to the water at that point. Um, so yeah, I think a stout kind of fits quite naturally for our area as well. It's like, you, you know, like London, you get some great stouts down there with the super hard minerally water. Um, and mm. ours is kind of similar really. So yeah, I think a stout would be, a stout would be great. Um, and maybe fingers crossed like this, this collaboration with uh, Three Hills again, um, the, uh, the black IPA or the Cascadian dark ale. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool to do. I definitely, definitely going to look forward to that then. So mo- moving forwards then, and you know, going on from future brews to uh, plans for the future, obviously you're, you're a scale you are right now. Are there plans to scale up in, in the near future? Are you kind of looking to hit a level where you're going to pull the trigger at that point, or is it just so you're going to take it how it comes and, uh, and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I think a combination of 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 the natural growth that we've been experiencing and and and, and having that in play, um, I think the first step for us is to definitely invest in more tank space. And then as you start to go up in tank space, you get oh okay, well we need more, <laughs> we need a bigger brew house and all those other problems that come with it. But I think yeah, tank space for us will be the next the next big thing to do, so that we can probably like serve more Polaris and get more of that out into the world, and then and then use the tank that we're currently using for some more experimental stuff. Um, I think we're both quite aligned in terms of how how we see things going. Um, we would love absolutely love to quit our day jobs and go and do this full time when it becomes viable go and do what we what we love and enjoy for a living and that that's what everybody wants to <laughs> that's do the dream, that, isn't yeah, it? that that's is the dream. dream um and dream. Uh, yeah i'd love to love to get to that point um i'm sure and i'm sure we can do it as well it's just getting the critical mass uh enough suppliers enough people around us that are willing that can take the beer and and hopefully we can we can use that as a bit of a springboard from there. Um, so it'll be one of us, hopefully, that's the plan. One of us at one point will give up our day job and then and then start to brew on a more full-time basis. 
And uh, so for for this summer, is there gonna is there a plan for kind of getting out to festivals and kind of getting your beer into the hands of, of more punters from maybe further afield? Um, I think in terms of festivals, we've not really got too much lined up at the moment. I think it's still a bit, it seems still a bit hit and miss. I think maybe we'll have to rev- see how it goes in in the back end of like sorry at the start of of next year. Um, we've got a couple of festivals to go to like trade day wise. I think we're going to what is it Brew London? Brew London. In, July. Oh yeah, yeah. But we're we're only going there in the capacity of kind of trade day, being able to to talk to some people yeah. down there, other brewers, yeah. suppliers, and things, and make some connections. But I think that's the next step for us is just to kind of yeah make some connections, talk to people, and that's the great thing about this this industry is that everybody's very very open to talking, want to get want to get you involved. You know, we'll talk and collaborate. Yeah, very you. friendly, They're super friendly. Yeah. And I think that's the next big that's the probably big step for us is maybe not attending festivals as such, but just continuing to make some great connections in the world and and seeing where that takes us. Uh, I think we are coming towards the end of this bit. I well, I've certainly finished, uh, which may maybe means that you've taken the sessionability a bit too far. Dangerous beer uh, with the fact that. I've, I've had a big differ so quickly. Any final thoughts, Matt, Dom? Yeah, I'd, again, just, again, very, very, very drinkable. Um, it's like even for an 8% beer, uh, I definitely got the stone fruit, especially like a bit of mango came through with that one. Uh, and even like a slight, really subtle, like resinous to it, uh, which I enjoyed um, a lot. But yeah, again, I, I, I enjoyed my way through that beer. Dom, what, what about yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I struggled through it. And uh, no, 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 I'm at the end. No, no, like I, I really enjoyed drinking this beer. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, I really enjoyed all the hops that were chosen. Yeah. And it's, again, not too sweet. Like it pitches it right in the, right in the exact range that you will want to drink a dipper. Good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I found that, that the, you could taste the alcohol a little bit, which made it, it kind of made you appreciate when, when you took a sip, you went, okay, yeah, there's the alcohol. Oh yeah, okay. That's all the other flavors, and I wasn't just kind of knocking it back without thinking, which is some of the modern stuff that's out there, and you kind of think, "Oh, where where did that go?" Yeah, I'm drunk. I'm drunk now. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, just don't taste the booze in there. I yeah. think maybe that's probably what some of the the yeast masks, um, particularly with the mm. you know in a lot of traditional double IPAs using a, a wet yeast again, probably the ester production masks, some of that, and I think yeah, it's probably one of the key things that I would change not to make it any more dangerous or to get people yeah you know yeah, you know more pissed up on it but uh, that's probably yeah the main the main thing that i would that i would alter about it but no, it's, i mean it's it's gone down really well i think that's the for me like one of the, the great thing about beer the great thing about brewing is it's it's drinking beers and um with having good conversation good people um and that's for me what makes you know the, the most memorable parts of drinking beer and you know you, you remember the times that you're with certain people doing certain things and those beers create memories and i think uh yeah it's been a been great to have a chat with you guys and um yeah i think it's gone down really easy because the conversation's been good so. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well uh thanks very much for coming on uh honestly like it's been a pleasure for us as well i can speak for the other two guys so where can we get this beer nationwide <laughs> nationwide delivery uh the beer garage so www.thebeergarage.co.uk and also remember that uh the hot master in rushton are smashing them out on tap so um all yeah the- go get those fresh boys on tap yeah, yeah. Shout out to get them. yourself a fresh pint in the sun 
uh make sure to sort of follow us both on instagram cheers everybody <laughs>